You are listening to this week's sermon podcast from LifePoint Church in Ames, Iowa. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org. All right, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Are you guys awake? Are you ready? That's what I thought. I'm excited for this morning. I'd have you guys stand up and jump around, but I'm not going to do that. I actually thought about that before I came up. I'm going to make everyone stand up and jump around, get ready, but we might lose a few people. I am a, what they call a pacing pastor, but when you're a pacing pastor, you have to understand a couple things. You have to understand, first of all, not everyone likes when you pace because they can't keep up with you. Some people's eye retention isn't quick enough to keep up with my pacing speed. And the other thing is I've just learned that sometimes it's distracting, but I do pace, so I'm going to keep it at a minimum. But if you have a problem with that, please put it in the comment card. <laughs> Sorry, Tanya, just joking. Tanya's like, another one. Thanks, Kyle. <clears throat> really excited to share with you guys this morning. God is at work in our lives, not just this morning, as we have, we've obviously seen this morning, he's here with us, but he's at work outside of these four walls. Thank God for that. We started a sermon series a few weeks ago called Discover More, and um, it's a, we're going to take the next nine months and really start to dig into what God has for us, trying to discover more for each of our lives that we wouldn't be content that none of us would feel like we've arrived, whether you're encouraged or discouraged, to know that God has more. You could be serving the Lord and you're 80 years old here today, and I'm telling you, God has more. We've not arrived. <clears throat> so growing up, one of the things I got into was working on vehicles, and I liked motorcycles and snowmobiles and anything, you know, power sports related. Uh, my dad was not into any of that, so growing up until I was probably in... Uh, early high school, I had no exposure to working on vehicles, anything automotive, but a buddy of mine um, loved doing it, and so we'd spend hours, we'd stay up all night on a school night changing the fuel pump on his pickup, you know, until 6 a.m., and then we'd go to school because we enjoyed it so much. Obviously, from that story, you should know that I wasn't a very good mechanic in those days because it shouldn't take you till 6 a.m. when you started at 6 o'clock the night before to change a fuel pump. <laughs> But over time, I, I dabbled with it more, and I just, there was this love for, you know, following, you know, different vehicles and learning about them, but also working on them. <clears throat> and one of the things I realized very quickly when you're working on engines uh, is that if you, let's say, have an eight-cylinder engine, my truck has an eight-cylinder uh, engine in it, that engine is designed to run on all eight cylinders. Contrary to other people's beliefs, if your spark plugs foul out, which means they stop working, or your your, your, your plug wires go bad or coil goes bad, you can't just be satisfied that you have seven cylinders that are working now, and you're like, well, seven out of eight isn't bad. You look at the percentage, I'm doing okay. If you've ever had that happen where a, a plug has gone out on your car and it's running on seven cylinders, or if you have a four cylinder, it's running on three, it doesn't run proportionally to what's broken down, right? It literally just shakes, and it, it's major. You can't, you can't drive it very far. It's not like you can just say, well, I'm good to go now. I got seven, got a little less power. Praise God, my car's still running. It doesn't work like that, right? <clears throat> that car needs to get in the shop, not only because it has significantly less power, it's not running correctly, but it would damage the engine. One of the things I was thinking about in regards to discovering more in our topic this morning, our topic this morning is seeing the power of God, Excuse me. 
is that in my own life, I've often asked God, where is the power that I see in the New Testament church? Where is the power that I read about in your word? Now, all of us here, whether you're following Christ or not, if you're following Christ and however long that journey is, you've probably gone down that road at times too where you're like, God, why am I not experiencing everything that the early church was experiencing? And it can be frustrating. The Lord and I have had arguments. He always wins. But there's been times where I've been like, God, if this can't be it. I see what your word says. Why am I not encountering what your word says? Anyone relate to that at all? Am I the only one? Okay, thank you for a few honest people. <clears throat> so should we settle for our seven-cylinder engines? Should we settle for living a life that's operating at, you know, 80% or 85% of really God's best? No. I don't want to settle for that. I don't want to just be content and say, well, I'm just going to come to church and if someone gives a word or maybe like this morning someone got healed, praise God, I can't be a part of that because I've got seven cylinders, I'm missing the eighth spiritually. No, we want all that God has for each of us individually, right? It's not reserved for a special few people who claim that they have a gift of healing uh, ministry, or and not say anything wrong. I'm just saying, no, the power of God is available to us daily. <clears throat> so just like a vehicle, God doesn't want us to settle for anything less than 100%. As we look at the year ahead, guys, we want to spark this anticipation and this faith in each of your lives that God has more for each and every one of you. When you give your life to Christ and you're following Jesus, he takes you on this journey of saying, let's discover more together. You're 22 right now, great. If you're going to die at 100, you've got a long ways to go, my friend, but let's go on this journey together and I want you to discover more each day. <clears throat> That's the heart of God. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1, <coughs> excuse me, verses 19 through 23. We've been looking at Ephesians these last few weeks. Paul's letter to the churches in Ephesus. Bless you. You have a quiet sneeze. I, I, does anyone, side note. <clears throat> does anyone know that you have a sneeze count? It's not biblical. <clears throat> but you have a sneeze count, right? I sneeze twice. I have an uncle who sneezes six times. But did you know what can happen to your sneezes over time? I used to have a quiet sneeze, and as of three months ago, my sneezes went to a higher decibel range, probably to 100, like beyond what's comfortable to mankind. And I was at a conference this weekend, and I sneezed twice, and it literally shook the room. And it's embarrassing, so you kind of sink into your seat, like pointing at the person next to you. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're favored by the Lord and you have a quiet sneeze. I'm 34, and I'm already becoming that guy, you know? <clears throat> Anyways, praise God. Let's have the uh, worship team come up. We're going to close out. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 1, 19-23 says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Thank you. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 
God has put all things under his authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. See, prior to this passage, Paul is sharing this prayer he has for these churches, his desire that they would encounter more of God. And Drew talked about uh, last week this hope that God has for us, this hope that he wants to instill in our lives that we would walk in. But here Paul says that he wanted these folks in Ephesus and these churches to understand what was available to them. That he didn't want to give them seven-cylinder, you know, bogus vehicles that didn't run right. He wanted to give them all that he had. He wanted to make heaven available to every individual. And he says that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father was available to each and every one of us. Now, if you just stop for a second, like literally that should bring us to our knees. The, the, this very fact that the God of the universe loves us that much that he would see us and not leave us hanging, right? That he wouldn't leave us out there saying, well, I created you, you got a lot of problems in your life, figure it out. But he says, no, this is what I have to help you. I want to walk with you. And then he goes on to talk about the authority that's given to Jesus to make this statement. That God the Father gave Jesus this authority over the church, right? We're his church. It's not life point. It's not a building. It's the body of Christ, right? It's you and I make up the church. So this is exciting. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, Paul wanted us to understand, lives inside you and I. It's made available for us. So this morning, what I want us to consider for each of our lives, since we decided earlier that, no, we're not going to be content with you know, 80% spirituality in our lives or 80% of all that God has, we'll just coast. But no, we want 100% of all that God has offered to us. So really, if, if you want to throw that slide up, the difference maker for each of us is the power of God at work in our lives. That's the difference maker. That's when our lives begin to change. You know, at salvation, when you give your heart to Christ, how many of you know that a Sometimes God can take and like literally restore all, you know, so many things in your life in a moment, but other times it's this gradual journey that you take with Christ and he starts sifting out things after we start to follow him because he's concerned with our character. He wants us to grow. He wants us to learn. He, want, he wants to walk through those seasons with us so that we don't go back to those things. But the moment that we receive Christ, the po same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Luke 24, 49 says this, and I'm actually, I've been reading out of the New Living Translation, but I, I believe the English Standard Version is a better translation for Luke 24, 49. It says, and behold, this is Jesus talking to his disciples before he leaves the earth and goes to heaven after he was raised from the dead. <clears throat> and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus told the early disciples, this is prior to Pentecost, prior to the Holy Spirit being given to individuals, humanity, to live inside of us if we follow Christ. Prior to that, Jesus tells the early church, wait, don't do anything until you're clothed with power from on high. You see, in our lives at times, 
like I said, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved, but at times we try to do life without the power of God moving through us. Has anyone ever done that? I do that sometimes, where I think, okay, I think I've got it down. I've been in ministry long enough. I've got some good gifts. You know, I did strength finders, four to the five, seem really strong. I think I can do this, and I try to operate in my own abilities. Anyone ever do that? You don't have to raise your hand. I tricked you. One guy's like, oh. I think in order for you and I to really understand, though, the power of God at work in our lives, we have to understand the Holy Spirit. Drew did a fantastic job with the series we went through this summer and early fall of talking about the working of the Holy Spirit and the character of the Holy Spirit. And so this is just to reiterate one point of what he's already talked about. But so often, the church, big C, not life point, over literally centuries— have discarded the work of the Holy Spirit because we don't get the Holy Spirit, right? We can think of God the Father. That makes sense. I know what a Father looks like. Uh, God the Son, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ, okay, I get that. But then you think of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's kind of difficult to comprehend the Spirit of God living inside of us, right? It, it doesn't make as much sense. And because of how the Holy Spirit's work has been twisted over the years, it kind of becomes this mystical being, right, that scares people off. And a lot of times the church in times past, has pushed it aside to say, well, we can, we're going to talk a lot about God the Father and Jesus, but then the Holy Spirit, yeah, he comes into your life at salvation, but then we're good to go. Just stop talking about it. You know, kind of the, the child, the Cinderella child that's forgotten about. You stay up in your closet, you stay up in your high room, up in the, up in the loft, you do your thing, but we don't want to talk about you. But I want to encourage you. You see, Jesus couldn't do anything outside of what the Father had already done. He couldn't say anything that wasn't already said to him by the Father, right? That's what God's Word says. The Holy Spirit's character is no different than the Father God's character or Jesus' character. The role of the Holy Spirit is different, right? The role of the Holy Spirit is to be our counselor, to be our helper, to be our advocate, right? Is to walk alongside of us. Jesus isn't present on this earth right now, right? That's why he said he had to leave because he wasn't at all places at once, he wasn't omnipresent on the earth where the Holy Spirit was able to work in each of our lives at any given time we could access God. So I say that because we need to understand the Holy Spirit isn't a scary character. The Holy Spirit is a part of God, right? The Trinity is three persons in one, like an egg, but way cooler. Uh, Eggshell, way more powerful. The egg yolk and egg white, but it's all in one, three persons in one. And though we get confused at times, with that, right? Because it is supernatural. It supersedes na the natural. It's the truth. And even if we don't get something, like, we still owe God the same respect to the Holy Spirit and the same awe and wonder. So when you understand that the Holy Spirit is, is God in another form speaking to us personally, we know his character is true and pure, right? So there's nothing to be afraid of. And when we understand that, it makes more sense than to say, okay, I want the power of God in my life. It's not some mystical being that the church at times is made out to be. And really, the power of God at work in our lives will be the difference maker for us personally, for our families, for our friends, our relationships in our workplaces, and in our communities. The difference maker for us as a body of believers here, we're just one small part of the pie, right guys? just in aims alone, let alone the world. We're just one small piece. We don't have it all together. We're just a piece of the, you know, part of the family. 
But the difference maker for us to be effective in this community is the power of God at work in our lives when we leave this building. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes to look at the life of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of the apostles. <clears throat> Peter was a common guy like most of us. A lot of you are not common. A lot of you are just geniuses and brilliant, but I can't be in that category, so I'm like, he relates to me. Not Drew. Drew's brilliant, but love you, man. You know he was a nuclear engineer? It's incredible. That was just a shout-out, man. Love you. <laughs> so blessed to be a part of his leadership. But Peter's story is interesting because it's this clear picture of the before and after work of the power of God in his life. You see, we have a before Pentecost Peter. Before Peter received the Holy Spirit, remember Pentecost was the moment in history when, when they waited and, and God, the, you know, when, when, when God sent the Holy Spirit... And from that point on, all of humanity had access to the Holy Spirit once they encountered Christ. So they're waiting. They're before the upper room experience where they received the Holy Spirit, Peter was a different man than he was after that, right? If you, if you know the Bible, you know he's a different man. If, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. He was Just to give you some insight, he was a very different man. Prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, prior to being filled with the power of God, Peter was a coward. He lacked faith. He spoke too soon. He was arrogant. Cut people's ears off, you know, the usual. What <laughs> I do in a given week. So a few things I want us to look at briefly about Peter's character prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God in his life was, you look at Matthew 26, and we're not going to go to all these because it would take too long, but briefly I just want to summarize it. When Jesus got arrested, Peter had spent significant amount of time with Jesus. By the time Jesus got arrested, from Scripture, I clearly believe that he knew that he was the Son of God. He had doubts, but by that time, it seems very clear in Scripture that he knew that Jesus was who he says he was. But after Jesus was arrested, what happens? Peter ends up denying Jesus three separate times when people say, Hey, I think this man was with that Galilean. Weren't you a follower of this Jesus? No, no, no. And it goes on three times, and the very last time he was asked, he basically says, let a curse be on me, as one translation says, if I'm lying to you. Like, that's the ultimate, right? He, like, literally was trying to make sure they knew whatever he could say to, to make sure he was distanced from Jesus because he was not wanting to be killed like he knew what was going to happen to Jesus to make sure they knew he wasn't a part of it. So here's Peter, who knew who Jesus was, denying his very relationship with Jesus. As I said earlier, um, when Jesus was taken from the Grove of Olives after Judas betrayed him, Judas led this group of Roman soldiers that was given to Judas to go arrest Jesus. And here's Peter. What does Peter do? When they try to arrest Jesus, he says, you know, no, this is not going to happen. He grabs a sword, and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear, right? Malchus. He's like, this is not going to happen. It's like if someone's messing with Drew, and I just grabbed a sword out, and I cut off that guy's ear. He's like, don't mess with him. You know? And Jesus rebukes Peter. Another instance in Matthew 14 when 
disciples were crossing the lake, and they were in a boat, and a storm comes up, and you, a lot of you know the story, but storm comes up, and they're fearing for their very life, and all of a sudden, they see Jesus in the distance, and at first, they thought he was a ghost, the Bible says, and they call out to him to ask, you know, and Jesus said, it is I, and so he makes this statement that they should know, okay, this is Jesus. He doesn't really look like a ghost. It's Jesus. He said he's Jesus. But then Peter chimes in, you know, Mr. Tough, Mr. Faithful. He's like, Jesus, is that really you? And then basically Jesus' response is yes. And Peter says, well, if it's you, let me come out on the water and I'll walk to you. And he goes out. And as you guys know, he lacks the faith to continue walking on the water because he gets scared of the events going on around him, right? The crashing waves and the storm. And so he starts to sink. So you see, Peter, like, from what I know of Scripture, and I can't say this is theologically totally accurate, but it seemed like the other guys in the boat were cool with the first response when Jesus was like, this is me. Yeah. Right? We don't know that for sure, but then Peter just chimes in for the second, you know, like, not good enough. And he comes and he says, if it's really you, you know? And so you just see Peter really struggling to believe. We see Peter's arrogance in Mark 8.33. I want to read that. <clears throat> Mark 8.33. Jesus was trying to tell the disciples what was going to happen to him. That he was going to suffer and be brutally beaten, persecuted, crucified. And here's Peter, and this is what Peter says. I, I want to read this to you. It's pretty powerful. Jesus said, He began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He'd be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. We've got to stop there for a second. Who reprimands Jesus? Like at this point, like... And granted, at this point, it was earlier on, but still, it's like, dude, you've seen what he's done already. Like, I, if, if, if Isaiah's over here, and I'm seeing him, like, drive out demons, and he's healing, and all of a sudden you see his major authority, I wouldn't come up to him and be like, Isaiah, you got to chill a little, man. This isn't going to happen to you. I'd be like, you got this. <clears throat> but after he reprimands Jesus, Jesus turns around, looks at his disciples, and then he reprimands Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Can you imagine, like, your spiritual leader, like Drew saying that to me? I say, Drew, man, I just felt like something was off in your message last week. I don't think it's going to happen. Get behind me, Satan. I don't even know how to respond. I just go crawl in a hole. But here's Peter, you know, know-it-all, trying to tell Jesus what's going on, and, and Jesus reprimands him. And so the idea is that we see a very different Peter prior to the Holy Spirit's work in his life, right? We see... Peter, as we see a lot of times in our own lives, right? Peter's not that different from any of us. I'm flawed. I make mistakes. But we see that Peter is very different before he was clothed with power. So after Pentecost, briefly, we see four things. And, and there's more than four, but I'm just going to share four. But four things happen in a matter of less than two chapters. It's unbelievable. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They're in the upper room, 120 believers, the Bible says, they get clothed with power from on high. The Bible says they're given a, a heavenly language, and they start to speak in other tongues. And all of a sudden, 120 believers who are probably really, really excited right now because this was a very difficult time in church history. Their leader was just murdered. They were unsure of what was going to happen. And all of a sudden now, this promise of the Holy Spirit comes, and something supernatural happens. 
And so they're all celebrating and cheering and praying and worshiping in, uh, in other languages. And the Bible says that people outside basically think it's a group, you know, a group of drunk people. And Peter steps out and says, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And I know that doesn't apply to Iowa State students. Not in here. That's kind of a bad joke regardless. I apologize. <laughs> Forgive me. Not our Christian students. Let's move on. You know, we started doing podcasts to record these things. That's not good. <laughs> edit, edit, edit. <clears throat> we hired a professional editor when they knew I was coming in. So here Peter, who's lacking faith, not wise with his words at time, speaks up. And he gives this long message to this group of people declaring what Jesus came to do in the fulfillment of the prophecies that had been given many years ago. And you see something, you have to understand the context of this. This wasn't just like an evangelistic crusade where it's a bunch of people who want to be there and, and you're preaching, it's a safe environment, they have guards around the edges of your evangelistic crusade and people to keep it chill. No, this was a very tumultuous time in, the, in, in, in Jewish culture in Jerusalem because the reason Jesus was killed because they thought he was uh, heretical. They thought he was speaking heresy. They didn't think that he was who he said he was. And so... Anyone who was talking about this new way, the way of being a Christian, following Christ, could be killed for their faith. So here, in Peter's boldness, he speaks up. And the Bible says that 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus in that moment. And I don't know if that was 10 minutes or an hour, but 3,000 people get baptized and saved. What you have to understand is there's probably well beyond that. So this was a large group of people, and he had this boldness that did not care about the results of his own life for speaking. Just a few passages later... <clears throat> Peter and John, the Bible says, are walking to the temple. There was a man sitting by the temple gate. He was crippled. Another very busy place in Jerusalem. Not a safe place to talk about Jesus or to, perform a, you know, to allow God to perform a healing. And what happens? This man gets healed because Peter and, and John stop for him and respond. And this man gets up and obviously the crowd around says, Whoa, we've known this man. He's been sitting here a long time and now he's healed. Peter speaks out again, a very dangerous situation, but Peter is being, you know, filled now with the Holy Spirit, clothed from power on high, the Bible says. When you receive the Holy Spirit, that's what happens. You see this idea in Luke that we just talked about earlier, being clothed with power of God, that's not just like a sprinkling, like fairy dust sprinkling. It's like, oh, we'll give you a little bit, here you go. When you think of the idea of being clothed, I look at several different translations. Some said filled, some said clothed, most said clothed. When you put on clothes, what is it doing to you? It's covering you up. It's covering you. When you fill a cup up, right, you're filling it to the top. You're filling it up. The idea is that when we're clothed with power, that we're immersed in power. Peter preaches with boldness. Last thing I want to share is, in that moment, the religious leaders at the time, the very same ones that persecuted Jesus, you know, the same group, basically take Peter and John into custody and say, why are you preaching what you're preaching? Stop it. And then Peter opens his mouth again, but instead of being brash and uh, unwise, and he shares again. He shares what Jesus did and that they can't stop speaking. And so when Peter's life was transformed by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, he's a different man clearly. He's not perfect. If you read on, he's got flaws like you and I, but rather than just being this timid, brash, unthoughtful, 
lacked the power of God, lacked wisdom. Now there's this thoughtful guy who's so in love with Jesus, so confident that Jesus was who he said he was, was willing to give his very life to preach the gospel to those around, even if it meant that his life would be taken from him. The interesting thing about the last passage I just shared with you, when Peter was sharing with these religious leaders, the very leaders that killed Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and spoke through him. You can read it in your Bible. You see, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, right? All, all of heaven, you know, all of the, uh, the Holy Spirit's capabilities and what he wants to do in your life are available to you at salvation. But we see in Scripture, there's other moments where the Holy Spirit's like a supercharger, right? It's like he comes in and says, I'm going to help you because you really need it in this moment. The power of God isn't limited to just one thing, but he said, in this scripture, he's like, I'm coming in, and you're going to need my help. This is going to be a hairy situation. And so there's moments in our lives, guys, where the Holy Spirit comes in and wants to do more if we'll allow him to. He didn't take over Peter. He didn't possess Peter and say, okay, Peter, you don't got this. I've seen your past, man. You just push him out of the way, and he's like, all right, I got this. No, Peter had to be willing and ready to hear what the Holy Spirit was doing and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to him, right? It's this partnership. It's not possession where he literally wasn't moving his mouth and God was just speaking to him like a puppet. You see, that's what God wants to do in our lives daily, giving us the words to speak at times when we feel cowardly or when we feel afraid. Just like Peter, God wants to instill the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in powerful ways in our lives daily to help us through the day and to help us through circumstances. What if you and I settled for nothing less than God's best regarding the power of God? What if we didn't settle and we said, God, I want all that you have every single day, not just a moment in my life where I remember back 20 years ago, Lord, I remember when I was filled with your Holy Spirit, or, you know, and I gave my life to you, or if I was spirit baptized, man, that was, those are good times. I was, those are good days, but this is now. That is not God's best for you and I. He has more for you today than he had yesterday. And what we want to do in this next nine, ten months is discover more of God and more of his power in our lives. Does that sound good? Does that sound like something we want to go after? Paige, would you come up and just play in the keys for a moment wherever you are? Oh, there you are, right in front of me. Thank you. I want to share a brief story before we close. Early on in Tara and I's marriage, we were a part of a church plant up in North Dakota, and right away we met a young couple. They had a, a little a son, probably Meyer's age, and our friend had her younger sister living with her. Her mother had passed away. And we got to know them, and uh, really a fun couple. And on the outside, everything looked really good. And uh, as we got to know them more, uh, as a lot of you know, the hidden things that are alive kind of were revealed, and we... They told us that they were really struggling in their marriage. He wasn't open to talking about it, but she was very open. She was following Christ. He wasn't at the time. She was really eager to see God do something in their family. And over the next few months, as we got to know them more and more, we quickly realized that their relationship was toxic. Their marriage was toxic. Her husband had been struggling with unfaithfulness to the point of, uh, it was at another level. Let's just put it that way. 
got to the point it was so bad that she left the house one night and asked if she could stay with us for a couple of days just to kind of take her kids out of that environment and kind of clear her mind and just think clearly to make sure she's making the right choice. You see, a lot of people in her life are saying, what he's doing to you, you have every right to, to separate. Now, I'm not saying they were saying to divorce, but they are saying you should separate for a while and get this figured out. And this young lady was like, no, I don't want to leave my husband. I've got a commitment to him. And as bad as it was, and it kept getting worse, we're like, what are you going to do? This environment's horrible. For whatever reason, she felt confident in how the Lord was speaking to her. And she stayed with them, and a series of time went on, and she was in the military and was going to be transferred to Washington, D.C. for a year, and before she moved there, she was going to have to leave the kids with him or her family, and before she moved, he ends up losing his job over the unfaithfulness and things he was struggling with, and his life came crashing down. His wife was moving away for a year. He lost his job. Everything he'd known was gone. The kids wouldn't be with him. And all this time, he saw the way his wife was responding to the most difficult trials that she'd ever gone through. He ends up radically getting saved before she moved and gives his heart to Jesus. It was one of the coolest things. Instead of him just assuming things were good, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus, now I'm fine. He makes this really humble move, kind of like when Peter was changed and God started working on him. He said, you know what I'm going to do? Being that your family's watching the kids, I'm going to go ahead of you to Washington. I'm going to rent an apartment for myself. I know I don't deserve to live in your household right now or live under the same roof. I've caused you so much harm and pain. But he said, I'm going to get an apartment. I'm going to get settled in. And I'm going to take the next year to start dating you again and building your trust. I'm going to win you back. And over the next year, that's what they did. Now this family has four children. They both love Jesus. They live in Minnesota. They're doing so well. And obviously, there's probably stuff in the background that's still healing's happening, right? It's a journey. But they're together. They've moved forward. And what I saw through that process was the power of God at work in an individual's life and in their family, but most importantly in her life initially, where she was so confident in her relationship with Jesus and what the Holy Spirit was obviously telling her. She had wise advice from like pastoral advice, scriptural advice that could have, she could have separated. She had every right to separate, but she said, no, this is why I feel God's telling me. I look back now and I'm really humbled. I'm like, wow, God. That's how I want to live my life, that I would know your voice so much that I'm willing to trust you even when those around me telling me I'm foolish. And that's what I want for all of you guys. That's what we want for each and every one of you. That we would know the power of God at work in our lives daily, not just event-based, but daily, that we would know the Holy Spirit's voice so that through the good and the bad that we can rely on Him, even when life seems so dark and so trying, that Jesus would carry us through those situations and on the other end we could rejoice and say, God, I, I see now what you're doing. When we're on those mountaintop experiences, like, God, I see what was going on even though it didn't make sense. But we want to be a people that trust God even when life gets tough. For more information, visit www.livethemessage.org.